Hello, knowledge seekers. In this episode of 20 Minute Books, we delve into So You Want to Talk About Race by esteemed writer and speaker Ijoma Oluo. This pivotal book, published in 2018, dissects the multifaceted structure of American racism, offering a wealth of knowledge on subjects ranging from police brutality and cultural appropriation to the disproportionately punitive school-to-prison pipeline. As an illuminating guide, it presents the tools necessary to engage in meaningful conversations about race and inspires collective action against systemic injustice. Author Ijeoma Oluo's insightful contributions on race have graced the pages of major publications, including the New York Times, Elle, The Guardian, and The Washington Post. Her profound impact in the field of social justice was recognized in 2018 when she was honored with the Feminist Humanist Award by the American Humanist Society. So You Want to Talk About Race is an essential read for any individual committed to the pursuit of social justice. It beckons to those striving to enhance their understanding of racism and is particularly invaluable for anyone seeking the language and perspective needed to engage in critical discussions about race. Join us as we explore the knowledge Oluo imparts, laying down the groundwork for an informed and compassionate dialogue. So, you want to talk about race, an examination of the complex system of racism in the United States. Introduction. Understanding the impact of systemic racism and navigating the conversation. Initiating a dialogue about race can be like walking through a minefield, fraught with social missteps and misunderstandings. Given that these conversations can often leave us feeling exposed or agitated, it's no wonder many hesitate to bring up the topic. But there's a way through this uncomfortable terrain, and Ijoma Oluo's So You Want to Talk About Race is a guiding compass. Oluo recognized a pressing need, the need for a foundational resource people could turn to when confronted with racial issues. Her book doesn't just illuminate the intricacies of systemic racism. It acts as an accessible manual for engaging in discussions that many find challenging. It shines a light not only on what contributes to racial oppression, but also on how individuals can confront and contribute to meaningful change. Through these insights, you'll gain an understanding of the importance of recognizing your own privilege and how adopting an intersectional approach can enhance the conversation. You'll delve into the disturbing legacy of police brutality against Black and Native Americans. Lastly, Oluo advocates for affirmative action, laying bare why such measures remain indispensable in leveling the playing field. Let's embark on this journey together. To embrace the delicate art of conversing about race with honesty, empathy, and a shared commitment to a more equitable society. Part 1. Disentangling the Threads of Race and Class in the American Tapestry In the wake of the 2016 presidential election, a fierce debate roiled America. Had the left betrayed working-class white men by prioritizing the rights of minorities? This argument suggested that class disparity was the true villain, and that race issues would resolve if only the lower classes were uplifted. Ijeoma Oluo, fatigued by repetitive confrontations on the subject, turned the questions back to the public. Why are black people poor? Could their struggle indeed be equated to that of the white poor? 
It's critical to recognize that racism has been a fixture in the architecture of societal success in the United States. The narrative that race is irrelevant today is simply untenable, and more importantly, ignores the systematic reinforcement of racism within the structures of power. Here's the core insight. Racism is thoroughly intertwined with systems of power, and it perpetuates inequality. Despite the progress of the civil rights movement, economic disparity between races is still striking, a telltale sign that racism, deeply embedded in the United States economic structure, continues to prop up white supremacy. Addressing inequality solely through the lens of class is akin to applying a Band-Aid to a deep wound. We need to confront the issue of race head-on. But the first step to tackling racism is acknowledging its existence in a given scenario. Here are three guiding principles. If a person of color believes a situation is racially motivated, their lived experience demands that we consider it as such. If an event disproportionately impacts people of color, it is indicative of racial implications. And if the situation forms part of a wider pattern of disparity experienced by people of color, then, unmistakably, it is tied to race. It's crucial to delineate a comprehensive definition of racism. Amongst the many definitions, two stand out. Racism can be seen as prejudice based on race, or it can be recognized as such prejudice underpinned by systemic power structures. The latter definition is a more precise assessment of the American experience, as it points to the individual actions that, collectively, uphold systemic racism. In essence, combating racism demands more than passive innocence. It calls for active opposition to systemic injustice, rooted in a personal commitment to dismantle oppressive structures. Part 2. Embracing the Discomfort why tough talks on race are key to change. When Ijoma Oluo sat down to unpack the issue of race with her mother for the first time, she wasn't just opening a dialogue, she was confronting years of unspoken complexities. Her mother, a white woman with black children, assumed her experiences warranted insight into what it meant to be black. But Oluo found courage that day to reveal the disjoint between having black family members and facing the realities of being black under the weight of white supremacy. Here is the fundamental insight. Only by stepping into these difficult conversations about race can we pave the way for real understanding and progress. From this pivotal exchange, Oluo's mother learned that her role wasn't to signal her goodness, but to use her voice to ignite change within her white community. This is an example of how tough conversations, while often daunting, can lead to transformative action. If you're ready to venture into these talks yourself, consider these strategies. Clarify your intentions from the get-go, allowing others to consent to the discussion or respectfully bow out. Do your homework. Responsibility for education on racial matters doesn't fall on the shoulders of people of color. It's a click away. When defensiveness creeps in, take stock. Has protecting your ego overshadowed the goal of mutual understanding and growth? Don't regulate the tone of those you're engaged with, especially people of color, who may express raw emotions on these deeply personal issues. Mistakes are inevitable, and conversations may sometimes unravel. In those moments, offer a genuine apology, retreat with respect, 
and assess if there's potential for a more constructive discussion later. Reframe your reflection post-conversation. Don't dwell on being reprimanded or nurse a bruised ego. Instead, focus on lessons learned and commit to another try, armed with new understanding. Through this iterative process, uncomfortable conversations hold the possibility of becoming catalysts for change. Part 3. Engaging in self-reflection. How recognizing privilege can lead to meaningful change. The directives to check your privilege are often met with skepticism or dismissiveness. Yet the reality is that many people aren't entirely sure what privilege signifies or what to do with the privilege they possess. This misunderstanding does not diminish the significance of the concept. Rather, it reinforces the need for clarity. To check your privilege requires a willingness to discern when you benefit at the expense of others, and the courage to question and renounce these unearned advantages. It's about recognizing how societal advantages influence your views and the hardships you've sidestepped. Take shadism, for instance, the flawed belief that lighter skin equates to intelligence and darker skin does not. Those who fit the lighter skinned ideal reap benefits from this distorted value system. The core insight of this reflection is, by conscientiously examining our privileges and embracing intersectionality, we can halt the perpetuation of oppressive norms. Reflecting on privilege isn't just a momentary contemplation, but an ongoing practice. Consider dimensions of your identity like gender, physical ability, and citizenship that may have eased your path. It's important not to counterbalance these with personal disadvantages at this stage. Rather, focus on understanding how your privileged aspects have informed your worldview and especially your perspectives on societal issues. Education is pivotal in this process. Aim to learn from voices that differ from yours, whose life experiences are distinct due to disparate societal privileges. Intersectionality, a term crafted by Kimberly Crenshaw, spotlights the interconnectedness of race and gender and remains a vital framework for comprehending diverse experiences. Without incorporating intersectionality, even well-intentioned social movements risk overlooking those who don't belong to the most privileged factions within a collective. To weave intersectionality into discussions on race, Query not only whether identity influences disparate viewpoints, but also whether you're actively listening to those with experiences unlike your own. Bear in mind, before steering a conversation toward intersectionality, you may need to delineate its significance. Lack of intersectional understanding can inadvertently steer societal progress towards further exclusion and oppression. Thus, To advocate for genuine inclusivity, we must champion intersectional sensibilities in our dialogues about race and social justice. Part 4. Building trust to reshape the dynamics of race and policing. The year 2015 marked a moment of stark illumination for Ijeoma Oluo, an encounter with law enforcement while driving with her brothers. Aware that their primary safeguard against potential misconduct was visibility, Oluo promptly tweeted about the stop. Though the incident concluded with just a citation, it unleashed a stream of responses that highlighted a grim reality. For many, being pulled over for driving while black was an alarmingly common experience. 
Despite skepticism from some, data doesn't lie. Black drivers are disproportionately stopped, searched, and arrested. This pattern of discrimination tragically extends to fatal encounters, with black and Native Americans being considerably more likely to be killed by police. Here is a central truth. Policing in the U.S. is inextricably tied to implicit bias, and forging a path forward requires the cultivation of trust. The historical context is undeniable, from the formation of the night patrols to target black and Native Americans, to the collusion of law enforcement with violent racists during and after Reconstruction, the police have regularly been agents of racial violence. Contemporary issues such as the over-policing of black and Hispanic communities reaffirm this enduring legacy of institutional hostility. Implicit bias. The subconscious prejudices that dictate behavior conspires with historical villainization to paint black individuals as inherently dangerous, providing dubious justification for the use of lethal force. This bias is not only dangerous but unsupported, casting black men as threats on an unfounded and discriminatory basis. For communities of color, distrust in the police is rooted in a justified fear that law enforcement is inclined to misuse power with little to no accountability. As such, Bridging this chasm of distrust is a monumental yet crucial task. Numerous studies suggest that combating crime hinges more effectively on community investment than on heavy policing. To dismantle the structures that reinforce this dangerous cycle, those who have traditionally enjoyed the privilege of the doubt must listen and affirm the testimonies of black people and people of color about their experiences with law enforcement. Acknowledgement is the first step. Advocating for equitable justice and systemic reforms is the collective responsibility that must follow. Only with such concerted efforts can trust be rebuilt and the relationship between race and policing be fundamentally redefined. Part 5. Leveling the playing field with a stronger commitment to affirmative action. The obstacles faced by marginalized individuals in our society can often feel insurmountable. Ijeoma Oluo knows this all too well from her own journey. Despite growing up with limited resources and attending schools that lacked adequate funding, she persevered and entered the workforce. Oluo's dedication to her job, through unpaid overtime and additional projects, eventually earned her a promotion, which was initially withdrawn due to a dispute with a white colleague. The more she climbed the ladder, the lonelier it became as she too often found herself the sole woman of color among her peers. The central thesis of her experience is clear. By strengthening affirmative action, society can begin to rectify the consequences of historical injustices. Affirmative action emerged in the 1960s as a means to correct rampant inequalities in education and federal employment that disproportionately affected African Americans. It was designed to bolster recruitment and provide additional considerations for underrepresented groups. Yet, the past several decades have seen this initiative wane, viewed by conservative governance as increasingly redundant. However, the persistence of discrimination and inequality signals that the original intent behind affirmative action is still relevant. With wage gaps that starkly discriminate against black and Hispanic women and a biased education system 
that often underserves and misjudges students of color, the case for affirmative action has never been more pressing. Consider how children of color frequently attend schools plagued by financial shortages, depriving them of essential educational resources. As a consequence, by the time they apply for college, they're confronted with glaring disadvantages relative to white students. The impact of this educational disparity seeps into their future economic mobility and professional careers. Affirmative action doesn't aim to give undue advantage. It strives to ensure representation reflective of a community's demographic makeup and equal opportunity for all. If black individuals represent 10% of a local population, then roughly 10% representation in educational institutions and workplaces is a measure towards fairness. It's not just about giving a leg up. It's about bridging gaps that have been unfairly widened by systemic biases. By investing in a reinforced affirmative action policy, society can take significant strides towards closing the pervasive social and economic divides that continue to define the American landscape. Part 6. Breaking the School-to-Prison Pipeline. The Urgent Need for Reform in Student Discipline. Ijeoma Oluo's brother, Aham, stands as a stark example of what happens when the education system misjudges and mistreats its students of color. Labeled as aggressive due to his animated demeanor, Aham faced disproportionate punishment at school, further alienated by a punitive desk rent system that left him literally sitting on the classroom floor. Though homeless at times in reality in school, he was mockingly called the homeless kid. The psychological toll was immense, leading to panic attacks, social isolation, and ultimately, a high school dropout. While Aham found salvation through music, not all stories have such a hopeful turn. Drawing from this narrative, the core message emerges. Racially biased disciplinary practices in schools greatly feed into the school-to-prison pipeline. With statistics backing the claim, it's evident that racial bias among school staff dictates disciplinary decisions, often leading to long-term negative outcomes for students of color. This disproportionate discipline begins a troubling chain reaction. Harsh, punitive measures, such as suspensions and expulsions, not only erode students' confidence in educational institutions, but also diminish their self-worth. It's alarming but true that the severity of punishment in schools correlates more with the number of black students than the nature of the infractions. These patterns of discrimination play a pivotal part in the disturbing statistic that one in three black men and one in six Hispanic men are likely to be incarcerated at some point in their lives. For women of color, the outlook is similarly bleak. What steps can be taken to dismantle such a destructive system? Begin by engaging with local schools and school boards. Inquire about their discipline methods and look into the suspension and expulsion rates for Black and Latinx students. Probe into the racial opportunity gap, exploring discrepancies in academic achievement, and ask what measures are in place to address these issues. Seek to challenge a curriculum that centers white perspectives, caters predominantly to white students, and is delivered largely by white educators. Advocate for an education that truly embraces all students that refuses to perpetuate a system that criminalizes students of color and that recognizes and rectifies the disparities inherent in the status quo. 
The goal is not merely to reform, but to transform, to create educational environments that nurture rather than penalize, that uplift rather than undermine. By taking these collective actions, we can begin to erode the foundations of the school-to-prison pipeline, ensuring that all students have the opportunity to succeed. Part 7. Addressing the Harm. Understanding why words and actions matter. In the tapestry of language and human interaction, certain threads carry the weight of oppression, some obvious, some subtle. Among these, the use of the N-word is a glaring example of a linguistic tool of oppression. This word, born out of centuries of derogation and inhumanity, continues to hurtle its painful history at black communities when uttered in ignorance or malice by those outside of it. Black individuals reclaiming the term for themselves doesn't nullify its oppressive roots or grant license for wider use. This insight informs us. Words like the N-word, practices like cultural appropriation, and subtle snubs known as microaggressions serve to reinforce oppressive structures. Cultural appropriation often incites bewilderment. Misinterpretation abounds regarding why it's viewed negatively. Simply put, it's the uninvited and uninformed borrowing of cultural elements by a dominant group from a culture that has been historically marginalized and disenfranchised. This becomes exploitative when the dominant culture gains from this adaptation while doing nothing to alleviate or even acknowledging the oppression faced by the originating culture. Equally insidious are microaggressions, those small, persistent jabs that communicate condescension or alienation to people of color. Whether verbal, you're articulate for a black person, or nonverbal, touching a black person's hair without permission, they cast individuals as others and infringe upon their dignity. The damage wrought by microaggressions cannot be overstated, yet their subtlety often renders them trivial in the eyes of those who perpetrate or observe them. When microaggressions occur, those impacted can foster awareness by address them. Inquiring about the intent behind the action and expressing the offense taken. This confrontation challenges the perpetrator to self-examine and hopefully reconsider their behavior in the future. If you find yourself on the receiving end of such a call-out, take a moment to reflect. Consider the societal or personal discomforts that may have driven such microaggressive behavior. This reflection should be followed by an apology, even if the offensive nature of the action isn't fully grasped at the moment. Pursue knowledge and understanding afterwards. Educate yourself on why the action was harmful. Remember, it is not the size of the slight that defines its impact, but its cumulative power to diminish and suppress individuals' sense of belonging and respect. By confronting these actions and understanding their origins, we carve a path toward a more respectful and inclusive society. Part 8. Confronting Tone Policing and Dismantling the Model Minority Myth to Advance Racial Justice The history of activism presents two pivotal figures embodying contrasting styles of advocacy. Martin Luther King Jr., emblematic of nonviolent resistance, and Malcolm X, representative of a more militant stance. Conventional narratives often suggest an acceptability to the Martin approach, grounded in peace and love, whereas a Malcolm demeanor, marked by a visible anger, is treated with disdain. 
Ijoma Oluo's experience as a writer on race has involved navigating this landscape, where her forthright style attracted criticism for supposedly exacerbating discourse on race relations. But here's the thing. Critiquing the emotional delivery of someone's plea for justice, a tactic known as tone policing, serves to undermine and silence important messages. Here's a crucial realization. Suppressing voices through tone policing and endorsing the model minority myth are actions that undermine the collective journey toward equality and justice. Preventing tone policing begins with acknowledging the deep-seated hurt and, yes, the resulting anger that can accompany conversations about racism, especially for those who've been directly oppressed by it. As you engage in dialogue on racial issues, discard the expectation of comfort or accommodation. Embrace the discomfort. Recognize that participating in these conversations is not an act of grace, but a moral imperative to challenge systemic racism. Beyond tone policing, the pervasive model minority myth, which lords Asian Americans as the paragon of minority achievement, holds back progress. This stereotype, which emerged in the 1960s to hallmark Japanese American success, does considerable harm. It invisibilizes the struggles and diversity within Asian American communities, glossing over significant socioeconomic variations tied to country of origin and ignoring alarming rates of utilized violence and unemployment among specific Asian American subgroups. The myth is also wielded to foster division, pitting Asian Americans against other minority groups to distract from the actual adversary, systemic white supremacy. So, what can be done? We must actively refuse to sanction tone policing in racial discourse, acknowledging the right to anger in the face of injustice. Simultaneously, we must dismantle the model minority myth, recognizing the diverse and often painful realities of Asian Americans, rejecting divisive tactics, and refocusing energies on the larger battle against ingrained racial inequities. Concerted efforts to change these silencing and divisive narratives are essential for building solidarity among marginalized groups and propelling the movement toward a genuinely equal and just society. Part 9. A new generation steps up, tackling systemic racism with renewed vigor. Raised amidst the backdrop of a seemingly post-racial America exemplified by TV shows like The Cosby Show, Ieoma Oluo grew up with the belief that hard work would override racial prejudice. Yet, the crack epidemic and the subsequent Violent Crime Control and Law Enforcement Act of 1994 laid bare a grim reality, a system that zealously imprisons and marginalizes people of color under the guise of justice. In response, today's youth are refusing to settle for a society that reserves empathy and opportunities only for the exceptional, while disproportionately punishing those who fall outside this narrow band. The key message emerging from their resolve is strikingly clear. The younger generation is calling out systemic oppression and tirelessly striving for justice. So, what can one do to support this burgeoning movement? Begin with a deep introspection of any racist attitudes or biases you may hold. For white individuals, it's vital to listen and learn when called out for racist behavior, intentional or not. The pursuit isn't to reinforce one's self-perception as good, but to confront and dismantle one's own participation in a racist society. Furthermore, recognizing that one can never fully grasp 
the lived experiences of systemic racism faced by people of color is crucial. No justification is owed. Understanding and empathy are what's required. Even when you disagree with an accusation of racism, your focus should align with healing and understanding, not self-vindication. Awareness is the first step, but meaningful action is the keystone to uprooting white supremacy. Locally, engage politically by supporting leaders who make racial justice a cornerstone of their platform. When witnessing the harassment or wrongful detainment of a person of color, if it's safe, stand as a witness, lend support. Take a stance against institutions that perpetuate racial inequality, support minority-owned businesses, contribute to organizations dedicated to racial justice, and advocate for unbiased policing in your community. In countless ways, each act, each voice, can contribute to the greater imperative of battling systemic aggression. The urgency of this cause cannot be overstressed. With lives at stake, we must learn to combat racism and fight for equity simultaneously, for waiting is a luxury that many cannot afford. Final Summary So You Want to Talk About Race by Ijeoma Oluo presents a compelling case for why actively engaging in conversations about race is not only necessary, but just the beginning of a longer journey toward racial justice. It invites us to listen intently, critically assess our own biases, and confront the privileges we hold. By embracing the concept of intersectionality, we can understand the nuanced ways in which various forms of oppression intersect and affect individuals' lives. The book implores us to challenge and dismantle the systemic structures that perpetuate inequality and to advocate for an inclusive society where diversity is not just acknowledged, but celebrated. This journey requires tangible action, from supporting local leaders committed to racial justice to standing as allies in moments of discrimination and rallying behind businesses and initiatives that empower marginalized communities. In summary, these insights propel us toward a future where speaking up against racism is coupled with consistent and deliberate efforts to make a difference. It is in taking action and advocating for tangible change that we move closer to a more just and equitable society. Thank you for joining me today on this journey of learning and discovery as we explored the insights of another thought-provoking book in our growing library of knowledge. If you've enjoyed our time together, please take a moment to follow our podcast, give us a five-star rating, and share 20-minute books with other knowledge seekers. Your support truly means a lot. Don't forget to join me again in the next episode, where we will delve into another enriching book. Until then. Happy reading and happy listening.